1: Hey, welcome back to the Barbell Medicine Instagram Live. I am Dr. Jordan Feigenbaum. It is the 8th of October. We're doing an Instagram Live Q&A. First off, some announcements. Thing number one, uh, yesterday posted a new training vlog over on the YouTube channel. If you're on YouTube right now, uh, you can click back and check that out. It's got some training. We talk about static stretching. We talk about um, cancer and exercise and a bunch of other cool stuff and review some of the user-submitted form checks. Um, Other thing, newsletters drop in this weekend before uh, Saturday. So if you're not signed up for our newsletter list, you should do that. Uh, Announcement number three, these shirts. There's this colorway. There's black. There's also a navy blue. Those are going to be available uh, very shortly. They've already shipped to our distributors. So keep a lookout on the website for that. And then we've got... Uh, at least one new template dropping this week. It's our Titan 2 template. Also, a couple free downloads uh, for the impending CrossFit Open. So, a bunch of cool stuff coming up. So, be sure to keep checking the website. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, wherever you wanna partake in your barbell medicine daily dosing. Now, let's see if we can get into some questions you guys have submitted via Instagram. I'm recording this for uh, YouTube, it'll be up there later uh, provided there's some good questions, good content, etc. Uh, the thing is streaming live on YouTube is problematic, not only for views because the algorithm, but also just, uh, internet bandwidth and yeah, it's not great. So anyway, let's see if we can get some questions from you guys and go from there. Do you have a dog or are you planning on getting a doggo? yeah. So, um, the context for this is I posted a new trial that came out. Um, this was in new England journal of medicine, uh, journal watch. And, uh, they were talking about how, uh, dog ownership actually has a tendency towards lowering, um, cardiovascular and all cause mortality. Um, I don't have a dog mainly cause I move quite frequently, uh, and places, certain places that I've lived don't uh, allow pets. Although the place I'm in now does allow pets and there's actually a dog park in the building, which is kind of nice. Um, But I don't have a dog yet, but maybe, maybe, maybe soon. Freaking Cardinals unsubscribe. Yeah, I'm a Cardinals fan. I mean, as far as sports go. So Cardinals are tied 2-2 with the Braves. I mean, I feel like every season seems like in the postseason we end up playing the Braves. But, uh, yeah, I'm from St. Louis. I'm a Cardinals fan. You can unsubscribe. (laughs) Uh, Hey, Jordan, recently I've been eating a poor diet in terms of not getting a lot of fruits or vegetables. Uh, Just after in just after recovering fully from a small flare of colitis, but still feel tired every day. Yeah. So if you actually had colitis um, and you have a uh, uh, medical condition like ulcerative colitis or something like that, I would uh, definitely work that up with your doctor and then their associated nutrition uh, professional rather than kind of trying to self-manage this because I don't think that's the that's the play here. Um, but in a more general sense, um, we do recommend that people try to get 10 servings of fruit and vegetables per day so that's you know five and five six and four something like that. Um, the idea is one it's going to automatically make sure that you're taking in a pretty good dose of fiber Where our goal uh, fiber goals would be 30 35 grams of fiber per day um, to the phytonutrients, the phytosterols in some uh, uh, in some of these foods, the flavonoids etc all these other, You know, fruit and vegetable uh, uh, nutrients that are isolated to these types of foods tend to be very health promoting. Um, We have uh, pretty good evidence suggesting that uh, consuming uh, fruits and vegetables tend to promote, uh, tend to be health promoting. So would recommend, um, as a general rule, 10 servings of fruit and veg per day. Uh, You can split that up however you want to. Would you say that bench press and overhead press is enough for front delt development? So the anterior deltoid um, I guess it depends on who you're talking about. If you're talking about a beginner, um, and you're looking, you're talking about sort of just muscle growth of the anterior deltoid or the entire, you know, deltoid, they're all three uh, separate mes- muscle bellies, or the or, or all or all the muscles of the shoulder girdle. Um, yeah, you could make an argument that bench press and overhead press, probably along with a row and, and something like, and maybe a vertical pull as well, would be enough. Enough to develop all of that in a fairly untrained individual, although there's no real need to restrict them to those movements. They're not any better uh, uh, for developing hypertrophy in the deltoid or the muscles of the shoulder girdle than other exercises like a dumbbell bench or dumbbell press or dip or uh, weighted push ups potentially or incline bench or, you know, like literally just hammer strength. I mean, again, as long as the range of motion is is similar, or or exercises that have a large range of motion, um, that you can progressively overload with weight uh, and or uh, with weight and uh, and training volume, um, then really the biggest kind of limiting factor towards hypertrophy is going to be how much volume can you do uh, without de- in- incurring too much fatigue, and so probably. W- movements that are not compound movements um, are, are probably gonna have to get into the program for for bodybuilding purposes. So the question was, is bench press and overhead press enough for front delt development? I mean, if we're talking from a hypertrophy standpoint and we're talking long-term, the answer is no. Uh, you're probably gonna have to do some isolation work for that. If you're talking about for strength purposes, then I wouldn't think about individual muscle groups. So yeah, I know that is kind of a longer answer and sound bites are preferred, but uh, I, I would just try to get out of the I, the, um, the mindset of, you know, is this uh, uh, enough for one particular muscle? It's,
0: uh,
1: I don't know. It just doesn't seem like a, a, a good kind of thought process or useful thought process that I think engaging in regularly. I think I just not do that. Let's see. Why do people say red meat is bad for you? Uh, well, because, well, I'll get to that. Okay, here we go. Why do people say red meat is bad for you? Does it actually contribute to increasing LDLs or does eating too many calories and gaining weight from a calorie surplus contribute to high LDLs? Thanks. Um, so a couple different issues here. So, um, there's definitely, uh, evidence out there suggesting that high intake of red meat can increase certain rates of cancer. Okay. Um, Particularly, colorectal cancer is the thing we have the most data on. So you look at the IARC, International Association Research, uh, International Association for Research on Cancer, and it compiled all the data on either processed and unprocessed uh, red meat consumption and incidence of colorectal cancer. And, yeah, there seems to be a link there. Um, and so the recommendation right now is to limit uh, the number of servings per week to about three servings of red meat per week. And then when you, go, when you talk about LDL, so LDL means low-density lipoprotein. Lipoprotein is just a, a lipid uh, and a protein. Uh, lipids uh, cannot really travel through the blood on their own. They need to be carried around by a protein. So that's the uh, protein component. component of the lipoprotein. So LDL is not cholesterol. LDL is cholesterol that's packed into a protein. And so that's what you measure on a standard lipid test, for example. Um, Does eating saturated fat intake, which is generally in a a pretty good, uh, uh, it's contained in a pretty good amount in most red meat, does consuming higher intakes of saturated fat tend to increase LDL uh, lipoprotein count, and the answer is yes. Um, we have this in multiple lines of evidence. So metabolic ward studies, where they actually admit people to either a research facility or, or a hospital and keep them under lock and key and feed them only certain things. Yeah, increasing dietary saturated fat intake above a certain level tends to promote increased number of uh, increase amount of LDL. Uh, and then further, when you replace saturated fat intake with things like monounsaturated fats, polyunsaturated fats. Uh, whole grain foods, fruits and veg, uh, or protein, um, you tend to get a drop in LDL. And LDL is associated, a high LDL is the single best predictor we have from a lipid panel as far as predicting uh, ASCVD, which means atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, which includes things like heart dis- heart attack, stroke, peripheral artery disease, et cetera. So uh, yeah, hopefully that answered some of all your questions. And uh, the, you know, if the take home is, should you eat all this, you know, unlimited amounts of red meat, the answer to that is no. Um, and so diets like the carnivore diet and some iterations of the ketogenic diet tend to be less, uh, tend to have some risk associated with them and depends on the potential benefits somebody's getting from that diet. So weight loss, yes, can affect, uh, weight loss and weight gain can affect your total your cholesterol um, panel. Um but, you know, I would not try to think about that independent of um, red meat intake uh, when you're t- thinking about constructing dietary patterns that are health promoting. Jordan, is Austin doing raw nationals? Nope. And will you ever do another raw nationals of the future? I mean, maybe. Yeah, I just uh, don't really like coaching and lifting the same weekend. It's not really fun for me. And, uh, yeah, I th- don't think that I want to, at this point, um, participate in the USAPL for now. doesn't mean forever. But for now, what's a good belt style or brand preference? Thanks for doing these. Yeah, I don't really have a belt preference like as far as brand goes. I have a Best Belts, which is made by Dean Best. I think it's fine. Um, Pioneer belts also tend to make a good product. Enzer uh, is got a ready-made belt. If you get just a black color, then you can actually get it shipped to you within you know a reasonable amount of time. Everything else is gonna take you a long time. Um, the SBD lever belt is very expensive, but also very good. Um, I just think a four-inch single-prong belt that's thirteen millimeters thick tends to be the the de facto or default size, rather that I recommend and uh, for most folks. And I think getting it from a Pioneer or Best Belt, reasonable reasonable choice there. Thoughts on Mad Cow Five by Five program? Yeah, I don't think it's very good. So it was good in a period in the period of the internet where free training resources were limited uh but now there's a bunch of free stuff on the internet and there's way there's a lot of limitations there are a lot of limitations to the mad cow program Um, if you like it that's great but my opinion i wouldn't advise somebody to run that no how to target different parts of the thighs for hypertrophy well I assume you just mean quadriceps versus hamstrings because you're not really able to target different areas of the quadricep versus different areas of the hamstring unless uh, you're talking about like not targeting the rectus femoris muscle, which is uh, hamstr- uh, quadricep muscle that crosses both the hip and the knee joint and tends to not get fully activated until uh, there's a substantial amount of fatigue in the quadriceps already. So one, training the quads, you know, knee extension, hip flexion, uh, mostly knee extension is going to be the big the big one, and then training knee flexion. Some hip extension is going to train the hamstrings. Um, a lot of different exercises to choose from. So It takes me at least 20 minutes to get through an exercise, warm-up, and work sets. Is that too long? I spend at least two hours in the gym, Want to cut down. I mean, 20 minutes to get through an exercise is not long. If you're doing three exercises each time, that's an hour. So I'd want to know why it's taking you two hours then to get it in. If it takes you 20 minutes to get through an exercise, the warm-up, and the work sets. That's what I'd want to know. Yep. Is it possible to start steadily gaining weight without a significant change in diet? I mean, yeah. If you eat the exact same thing, then you become much less active. You could start gaining weight. Uh, that happens, or potentially if you start medication that promotes weight gain, particularly through water retention. Um, yeah, all sorts of all sorts of things can conspire or or confound your sort of weight variable, depending on uh, what's going on. What's worse, smoking or obesity? Um, I don't know that I could say that one is is worse. Um, I mean, obesity definitely has its hands in more chronic diseases, and you could make an argument that it's uh, the healthcare costs and the quality of life suffering from being obese uh, maybe uh, is, is, is more substantial than smoking, but... Smoking still pretty bad. <laughs> um, so you'd prefer neither of those things to affect somebody. Are speed reps on the main lifts beneficial? Example, 10 sets of three with a lightweight and under a minute rest. I mean, if you want to get better at producing force at high velocity, so high velocity force production, um, sure, then you would want to train that um, via high velocity training, which you have to do at a lightweight. Um, it doesn't really help with low velocity, uh, force production, which are heavy, heavy, that's heavy, heavy weightlifting, heavy, heavy, sorry, heavy, heavy strength training. Um, and then doing it on a one minute rest doesn't mean anything that all it's doing is limiting your ability to actually produce high velocity force production. So it turns to be, it ends up being a little more conditioning, um, and then may actually be able to stimulate a little bit of excuse me hypertrophy via the fatigue that's generated through that the artificially short rest periods whereas it wouldn't if you had a longer rest period and you were just squatting 55% for doubles or triples um, for 10 sets probably not a big you know hypertrophy stimulus there unless you get fatigued enough by the end of those by doing them every minute on the minute that you're actually getting substantial motor unit recruitment so uh, what can I use as a substitute for a pit shark or belt squat? Um, you're gonna need a loading pin and a, uh, a dip belt So you can do that and stand on boxes and do and do a belt squat like that You could also have a landmine attachment where you have a barbell jammed in the landmine um, And then use your dip belt um, on on one end of that uh, And you do it like that There's also a way I guess you could do it theoretically on like a something with like a low pulley uh, setup where you can stand above it and hook a dip belt to that. That, Those would all work. Yeah. Have you ever tested how many words you can type in a minute? I'm tempted to do it, but I'm not going to do it because I don't want to waste everybody's time for a minute coming to the Miami seminar stoked. Very cool. Yeah. We're selling out. Uh, so upcoming educational opportunities via barbell medicine. So our Boston pain and rehab seminar sold out. Um, we have, I think two spots left at our Portland seminar, our regular barbell medicine seminar with Dr. Baraki and I, uh, December we're all off January. We'll be in Reno for a pain and rehab seminar with Dr. Michael Ray and, uh, Dr. Derek miles. I'll be in Reno with those cats. And then we'll be in, uh, uh, Miami as well. Dr. Brocky, Leah, Tom, um, Alan, the whole crew will be down at Steffi Cohen's gym, Hybrid Performance in Miami, uh, the first week, uh, first weekend of January. So, still some spots open for that. So, get signed up today. Otherwise, you're gonna miss your spot. My close grip bench is stronger than my competition bench, which has a wider grip. Is this unusual? Yes. Do you recommend using a wider grip bench for long-term investment? As most people say, it uses more chest musculature. Well, most people would be wrong. It doesn't use more chest musculature. musculature. In fact, when you look at studies on actual uh, muscle recruitment with different grips, there's almost no difference in any grip, uh, provided the range of motion is the same. So that's close grip versus wide grip versus thumbs from the smooth or something like that. I think through the three conditions that were tested under similar relative intensities. So uh, I would... It sounds like your competition bench is either you've newly switched your grip to a wider grip because somebody told you that you should, and it's not yet trained um, compared to your close grip bench, or your wide grip, your competition bench is just too wide for your current uh, uh, strengths um, and and current training development. So, yeah, it just depends what you want. If you're not going to compete in a meet, it doesn't matter, really. Uh, you can, you know, play around with it if you want, but I don't think necessarily that having a wider grip bench necessarily, uh, kind of correlates to a higher bench potential. Yeah. I don't see it. You see just such a huge inter-individual variation. And, in for more on that, I talk about this in the bench prescription video that we made with Alan Thrall it's available on our channel. Yeah. Check it out. Just started week five of the legacy 12 week strength template. And was surprised to see five three Oh tempo squats are in for just one week. Yeah, it's just in there for the Pivot Week. Yep. Is there any chance of you and Austin being guests on the Joe Rogan show? I mean, I guess it's possible, but it's not like Joe's you know, called us up and we're just turning him down. Uh, so I think that how this works is Joe has to invite you on a show. And I don't know that he's going to invite us. Recently, after squat days... When I stand up from my desk, my VMOs cramp up really bad. Barbell medicine stance is that this is a sign of not recovering well. Oh, there's a lot to unpack here. So one, the VMO stands for the vastus medialis obliquus. The, this was this is a made-up muscle. It doesn't actually exist uh, based on any criteria we have anatomically. This was made up by a, a, phys, a physical therapist in the 60s looking at four recently amputated legs. They found that there were fibers at the end of the vastus medialis, which is one of the muscles of the quadriceps. They found that the distal end of it right by the knee had these obliquely running fibers, and they called it the VMO. Actually, later petitioned nomina anatomica, which at the time was uh, – uh, responsible for naming all these muscles. They petitioned the uh, that group to actually uh, say that there was a VLO as well. So they were trying to not only add a muscle to the sort of dictionary of muscles and the v- VMO, they were also going to add the VLO. And then they wanted to rename the quadriceps to the sexiceps because now there were six heads. Anyway, none of that worked. Uh, the VMO is not a real muscle. Uh, cramps generally... Uh, I guess you could maybe, um, call it a sign of, uh, not recovering well, because it just means that fatigue was relatively high, uh, unless there's some medical condition, but most, for most folks, uh, acute cramping is just uh, a little bit too much fatigue. It doesn't mean anything if it goes away, if it just happens when you stand up from your desk and then it goes away, it just could be positional. I'm not, wouldn't wor- really worry about it. Yeah. Jordan popular question on YouTube currently. What do you think is harder bodybuilding or powerlifting? I mean, I don't know, I've never done bodybuilding, never competed in a bodybuilding show, so I don't think that I can actually say which one is harder. Um both of them are, you know, the the problems and the suffering and the difficulty. They're these are all champagne problems, right? If you can actually afford to engage in this recreational pursuit of strength or and or muscle size, then <laughs> you're you're doing okay. You're doing okay in this world. So I probably wouldn't you know try to say one is harder than the other one is more suffering than the other like it's it's lifting weights you know jordan what does the evidence say on the efficacy of regular mouthwash use as well as flossing thanks in advance yeah i don't know that's dental stuff and dentistry uh the evidence-based model for dentistry is slowly emerging but it's far behind the medical uh the evidence-based medicine sort of movement so yeah i'm not sure Disc herniations compressing nerves can fully heal? Indeed, they can. Yeah. That's a that's like a google thing. You just Google that and you're like, yep, pops up. Cool. Hey, Jordan, I love your stuff. Thanks, buddy. It has all been very informative and helpful for my growth in moving weight efficiently. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, hi- gas up one of your friends. You know, just hype them up. Call them up and say, hey, you're doing great. I miss you. I like you. Something like that. Some positive, positive vibes. That'd be good uh right let's see jordan just finished the hypertrophy template yesterday going back to strength week one tomorrow pulled 405 for a set of seven nice man cool program yeah awesome brandon nice can leg press and rdl replace squat and deadlift if the only goal is hypertrophy yeah sure can sure can i would actually argue that the rdl is probably better for hypertrophy uh the hamstrings um, and, you know, and, and, and potentially even glutes, uh, than the, uh, than the deadlift. I mean, really, again, what you're looking for is range of motion, the ability to progressively overload via, uh, adding weight and, uh, and reps volume being more, more important here than absolute intensity. Um, and then the ability to do, uh, a bunch of, uh, reps and sets without getting too fatigued. So you think about like how, you know, what could you do more of in a given week or a given session without incurring way too much fatigue that would overwhelm the system and compromise your hypertrophic response to the training. Leg press is going to be better than a squat. RDL, uh, since it's a little lighter, um, you know, but you still have a really long range of motion. Range of motion is very similar, especially for the hamstrings and glutes uh, and erectors, you know, it's it's probably a better choice from a fatigue standpoint, although you know I could argue it's not that much different, and um, but it may be a little bit, maybe a little bit better. Uh, and then people really get worked up about, well, you can use more weight on the squat. Well, not really than a leg press. But you know then a leg extension it's like well sure but the question isn't how much absolute weight can you use the question is how much motor unit recruitment can you get and we know that you know doing sets of uh, you can get the same amount of motor unit recruitment doing sets of five and sets of 30 um, you know just at uh, as long as you're willing to go near to near failure the the question isn't you know how much motor unit recruitment can you get by the second rep of a set the question is how much total motor unit recruitment did you get at the end of a whole set how many reps we're stimulating this sort of muscle growth and then how many of those sets can you do in a given week in a given session. Um, so anyway, I think people try to overly complicate this hypertrophy thing. I and mean, really what you need to do is pick exercises that have a big range of motion can, uh, be loaded, uh, or done for enough reps that, uh, generate, uh, that stimulate motor unit recruitment. Uh, and then that you can do enough volume of them, uh, to continue to drive hypertrophy over time. Uh, and, I don't know if having an allegiance to, to a particular movement is a is a great way to be a great way to think about hypertrophy. Hey, Jordan is doing leg extension machine bad for your knees? Nope. I don't know things that are bad for your knees except for maybe acute trauma at high velocity and you know acute uncontrolled movement at high velocity might be bad for your knees or like other people hitting it. But yeah, people are like, oh, it's open chain and there's this long moment arm on the knee. It's like, so what? Yeah, tissues adapt. People get better, you're able to tolerate more stuff. Is there evidence to show a salt craving is relevant to actual hydration slash electrolyte imbalance? So those are completely different things, hydration and electrolyte imbalance, although sometimes they happen um, same time. In general, people, they're, the thirst response to exercise or uh, sweating in an in a active environment tends to be a little delayed. Uh, and then as far as craving salt, most individuals won't have a conscious sort of, you know, uh, hey, I'm craving salty things. Most people won't. but And that's because we t- all tend to consume enough sodium in our diet. And in general, you can't make yourself significantly hyponatremic, low, low sodium in a way that's clinically meaningful um, from – exercising or competition unless you're doing something fairly extreme or you've suffered a, 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 like heat stroke uh, or heat related illness and you know that's then again one of the things you would you would look for is potentially uh, a hydration issue a salt assault issue but we're talking about people doing two days three days uh, training or team-based sports and then doing something silly like drinking you know 10 gallons of free water of, or Gatorade or something like that. Uh, To in order to get rehydrated, that those sort of things would would be the real uh, reasons why you get this sort of hyponatremia, this low salt level that's actually clinically meaningful, meaning that can cause symptoms or potentially bad outcomes. Most people after they exercise are hyponatremic. It's just this you know thing that happens, but it's not clinically significant, doesn't do anything, and it resolves on its own uh, when we eat food. Um, But and and actually the recommendation is to. Uh, add sodium to both pre and post-workout meals. Um, that being said, most, most people probably get enough dietary sodium anyway. It's probably not a big deal. Yeah. How would you explain to a friend why a multivitamin is not beneficial? It's a good question. I probably wouldn't actually explain to them that it's not beneficial unless they asked me because otherwise I'm just wasting my breath. Um, yeah, multivitamins not associated with reduced uh, mortality or morbidity. That's diseases. Uh, if anything, it's related, particularly high doses of antioxidants, high doses of other vitamins are associated with bad outcomes like increased rates of cancer, uh, for example, or all-cause mortality risk. So no benefit to show no, – no evidence really to show benefit. Uh, outside of patients who need to take a multivitamin due to either a problem absorbing vitamins or or some sort of uh, very, very restricted diet uh, uh, where their doctor would be prescribing them sort of multivitamin supplementation. So these are people who've had like gastric bypass or who've had like a uh, uh, part of their ileum removed or, or other parts of the GI tract uh, operated on. And uh, then they might have to take a supplement or, you know, people with like cystic fibrosis or other issues where a uh, malabsorption is a concern or just super restricted diets. Those are the patients that get prescribed multivitamins, um, you know, among others, but just your general, you know, otherwise healthy person. Yeah. Multivitamins don't do anything. Just waste your money. Any recommendations on resistance training focus for boxers? How does muscle fiber types play into resistance training goals for athletes like this? Muscle fiber types are mostly genetically predetermined. Uh, you can get some shifting within different fiber types, type 1 uh, and type 2. They don't go from type 1 to type 2, but in the type 2 muscle fibers, you can get some switching from high-velocity uh, force-producing muscle fibers to low-velocity uh, force-producing fibers and back and forth, depending on training. So yeah, just for boxers, I think you know conditioning would be obviously be a focus, uh, and then doing significantly more high-velocity strength work than I would somebody who uh, is not uh, involved in an explosive sport like that. Sure. Does your body get accustomed to a lower-calorie diet, meaning you start to burn less and less fat? Well, as you lose weight, sure. Yeah, you're. Your uh, basal metabolic rate goes down. Total daily energy expenditure goes down. Some evidence suggesting that part of your NEAT non-exercise uh, aerobic thermogenesis, basically just calories you burn from non-formal exercise, you tend to move around a little bit less. But in general, in general, this doesn't seem to preclude weight loss in a calorie, when people are actually in a calorie deficit. Um you know, people tend to continuously lose weight under controlled sort of situations. That being said, you know, weight loss can be difficult for sure. How would you approach your client if they were worried about one leg being significantly stronger than the other? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Uh, I think it would just depend. You'd, you'd want to get more information. So, one, you'd want to know why they're concerned about it. How they did they assess this? Because there are things like... Uh, you know hamstrings uh, uh, asymmetry, this this uh, that that do predict uh, higher risk of certain uh, injuries in certain team sports, uh, particularly soccer, for example. And so in that, how you would assess that is effectively you're doing you know one leg up to like a set of eight repetitions at RP eight or nine or something like that uh, on one leg, and then do it on the other leg and say, oh, is there an asymmetry? And if it's above a certain level, then maybe that confers an increased risk in soccer but in barbell training probably not uh that being said um what you're gonna find is uh is that that tends to be eliminated via resistance training period meaning that the weak side when you're doing these bilateral exercises when you're doing the 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 the, them the weak muscle quote-unquote uh tends to get a little bit greater stimulus than the stronger muscle um you know provided uh, technique and range of motion are, are are relatively similar uh from rep to rep and that and that and then on top of that i think that including unilateral work um can be uh useful too i don't know that i would just focus on all bilateral stuff i don't see a good reason for that so uh i think between you know just having that conversation and then and, and maybe seeing if you need to take a step further but w- the final word on this is we're all asymmetrical Every one of us is asymmetrical. No one is has equal strength side to side, or antagonist to agonist, and and that's some of that is by you know uh, is is has been selected for, um, you know over over millennia. But that's that's another podcast. Anyone in particular you're excited to see compete at Raw Nationals? Sure, Leah Lutz. I'm excited to see her lift and uh, go out and smash some PRs. Claire uh claire zai she's uh gonna go on the 72 kilo prime time class and and smash some prs that'll be cool sam calhoun Al- austin's client she's gonna go out in 63 kilo prime time along with lorraine Baraki, austin's wife they're gonna both be in prime time i'm really excited to see how they do um anybody else that i am excited to watch yeah i don't know probably not <laughs> What medical school, was medical school worthwhile to you? Would you have chosen a different route? Yeah, no, I thought medical school was fine uh, for me. I think the only thing I would have done differently, I mean, I got a master's degree in uh, clinical anatomy and physiology prior to going to medical school, which I actually found the education to be super valuable and the skills learned and the knowledge, the fund of knowledge, like, great and and honestly helped refine my study technique allowed me to do so well in medical school um so from a like actual like skill development i thought it was great but the actual How did that transfer to helping me get into medical school was not that great, uh, mainly because it's hard to evaluate like how rigorous a master's program is uh, compared to more undergraduate coursework. So I think it would have made me a more competitive applicant to do the same number of additional credit hours in undergraduate science education to help bring my GPA up, make myself more competitive than the actual master's program I did, although the skills – And fund of knowledge gained from doing the master's program, I think, was superior to anything I could have done undergraduate wise. Uh, But yeah, medical school was great. I just it it would have been nicer to have a uh, better, I guess, pick of uh, which medical schools that I wanted to go to. But hey, it all worked out. I met Austin uh, and his wife and a couple other good friends from medical school. That was, you know, obviously been worthwhile. And so maybe it all is supposed to work out like this. Would you review a snatch or clean and jerk video for a future training vlog? Uh maybe. Yeah, I'm not putting it, I'm not saying no. <laughs> Thoughts on strong lift five by five, similar to starting strength five by five based on Reg Park. Uh starting strength is not five by five, it's three by five. And strong lift five by five. I actually met Medi in London. I think you know, if you need a place to start for your resistance training, it's fine. Um, I would prefer you do our beginner template. Uh, the beginner prescriptions are free version. We think that's how people should start training. Um, and also sort of uh, reading that text a lot gives people a better lay of the land for like why they're doing this, what's the, what the next steps are, et cetera. But, you know, I'm not going to ever dissuade somebody from getting into resistance training. So will intermittent fasting interfere with strength improvement? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, we don't really have good long-term data on this. The What you'd really want to know is, does intermittent fasting actually do anything unique? Does it, for instance, make people lose more weight? Does it uh, have a health-promoting effect that a similar calorie-level diet where people don't intermittently fast, uh, does? is there any unique benefit to intermittent fasting? The answer to that is no. Yeah, two recent meta-analyses on this. No benefits to resist, uh, to intermittent fasting over a regular diet. If you prefer it, that's cool. Helps keep you adherent to some sort of diet. That's great, but it doesn't improve health and any reduce any incidence of any sort of disease uh, compared to a similar diet where you don't intermittently fast. And uh, it's certainly not going to make people stronger. Uh, uh, so I think if I was hedging my bets, I probably wouldn't recommend intermittent fasting if, if getting st- super strong is important to you. But on the other hand, I'm not going to tell you that it's going to hinder your gains. I just, unless it's helping, unless it's the only way to get uh, to keep you adherent to your diet, I probably wouldn't recommend it in general. Hey Jordan, just wanted to thank you and the Barbell Medicine team. Today I just hit a four plate deadlift. Hey, that's awesome! Congratulations. Have you followed Tober? Squattober? Uh, squatting almost every day seems like a fun and community event, but adapting to the volume would be interesting. I have not followed it because I have a powerlifting meet. Yeah, If you want to squat every day, I think Matt Perryman's Squat Every Day is the book to read. It's actually some pretty good uh, 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 read uh, on coaching principles, but I would not recommend people who are only squatting two or three days a week to just ramp up immediately to squatting every day just because it's October. I want to increase my low bar squat and quad hypertrophy. Would you choose high bar or front squats as a supplemental accessory exercise? Uh, I'd probably just low bar squat some more. I mean, you could pick high bar or front squat. High bar probably has a little more transference to, excuse me, low bar squats, but they all they all work the quadriceps, you know, as long as you're going to near failure. Um, as, as far as uh, uh, going uh, uh, developing your low bar squat, low bar, doing more low bar work is probably going to be the best move there, but this all depends on the individual course. Had a great lecture in med school about preventing sarcopenia and cachexia in med school today. Teacher said we need to get people to train. Pretty stoked. Wasn't expecting that at this point in time. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, sarcopenia uh, and cachexia, it should be noted, are not the same thing. Sarcopenia is a loss of muscle tissue, literally meaning a poverty of flesh. Uh, And then cachexia is, uh, uh, and, and in sarcopenia, usually it's loss of muscle, but you can uh, actually preserve or even increase the amount of body fat. Um, so we, there's also this term sarcopenic obesity uh, Whereas cachexia on the other hand is this global loss of both fat and muscle um, It's a little bit different. There's also other symptoms associated with the uh, cachexia. So yeah. Is it true that there's a max amount of protein that your body can utilize in one meal? No, your body has excessive resources that it will allow it to use keep transform uh, and etc. cetera, and convert, uh, dietary protein into, you know, muscle tissue, energy, stuff like that. Do you still overhead press? I have not overhead pressed in five or six weeks, I think. Yeah. Cause I'm doing this powerlifting meet. So what's wider the English channel or Mike T's hips. That's close. We're going to have to, you know what, we'll have to measure I'll, when I see him at uh, at Ron Nationals, I'll uh, I'll break out the tape measure, but I might have to bring another one, tape it together. <laughs> what is the best way to squat for a meet? Low or high bar? Uh, either, you know, some people will be able to move more weight uh, low bar. Uh, I hesitate to even say the majority because it just really depends on the person. Um, in fact, there obviously there's some very very strong squatters to squat high bar in powerlifting and then in Olympic lifting who tend to actually be even stronger. Um, Squatter squatting per per uh, given at a at a given body weight, they almost universally do uh, high bar squats. But you know, you could argue about their anthropometry, so it depends on the person's anthropometry. So if you have a meet coming up and you've only been squatting high bar, would I switch to low bar for the meet? Probably not, unless you've had extensive history training low bar. On the other hand, if you've been training low bar and you have meat coming up, I probably wouldn't switch to high bar for the for the meet. I would just you know get better at low bar. If uh, you don't have a meet coming up and you want to sign up for one, then, you know, I don't know that I would change unless you have a significant amount of time, 12 weeks, 16 weeks, uh, so to work this out, but I would try to pick one, you know, that you want to, uh, uh, kind of use as your priority squat, uh, and that getting stronger in that movement is more, more important to you. If you have this idea of doing a meet in the near future. Thoughts on laser light treatment as a form or treatment of plantar fasciitis? No. Yeah, there's the reason why there are like hundreds of different treatments for plantar fasciitis because none of them work. We don't really know why this is happening. So, yeah, I would not recommend that. <clears throat> for someone returning from a herniated disc injury, would leg press aggravate that if the back was kept neutral? Uh, no, not necessarily. Um, neither would squatting, and even if the back's not kept neutral. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of this is depending on your thought process, your your uh, expectations, your previous experiences, your education level on this. Um, all of these things can influence how you actually respond to exercise. So we wouldn't necessarily expect you to have pain with any of those movements, but you might, even if your back is uh, perfectly neutral, because that doesn't really correlate to the pain experience. Um so if you're trying to come back and you want some very specific advice I would recommend consulting our pain and rehab uh, specialist. They do this every day. They're the best in the industry. I mean I'm not just saying that like I'm really glad they decided to link up with us, but these guys are great. So Dr. Ray and Dr. Uh, Miles that this, this is what they do. So yeah. Also, why do the doctors charts for testosterone ranges not account for age? Uh they do. Yeah. Yeah, there are p- published norms for free and total testosterone based on based on different age demographics. So, wearing that shirt for the fifth day in a row. Well, this is to be fair. This is a new shirt. Like this has never been worn before. But am I wearing wearing the same logo? Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> What kind of training plan is ideal for a client who wants weight loss, loves cardio, but also enjoys weightlifting? What would you program for them? Uh, weight loft, weightlifting, cardio, and a calorie deficit. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it would just depend on how what sort of resources they have available to them. If you mean Olympic weightlifting, you know, then I'd probably have them do Olympic weightlifting most days that they train with weights. Probably all days. Uh, I try to get them to lift weights three days a week and i'd have them do a push a pull and a press uh and the pull usually would be some sort of olympic lift uh maybe one day i'd just have them deadlift instead of doing like a a cleaner snatch variant Um, but if you're not talking about olympic weightlifting then yeah i mean i think two or three days a week resistance training full body workouts uh do conditioning that that they can be adherent to and they prefer and calorie deficit yeah how do you go about planning your jumps for warmups, attempts at a meet? Saw your post where you jumped 600, 700 plus, but ideally you would have hit 675 in between. I don't know how close to get on the last warmup. Yeah, it's all personal preference. So like my th- my deadlifts, I'm probably going to open at 305, 672, and then jump to 730, something like that, 727, whatever that is, 7732, whatever. And then uh, 748, I think is the third. That's the plan. Uh, but last warm up prior to 672 will probably be 600. I mean, and I'll probably just go 135, 225, 315, 405, 500, 600 as my warm up, just because I'm comfortable doing that. It's all personal preference. Hey, Jordan, is anabolic, androgenic, anabolic, steroid induced hypogonadism reversible after short term use? Sometimes. Yeah. Also, do test levels return to their previous normal? Sometimes. Yeah. Um, again, I know that you've asked multiple questions about uh, anabolic androgenic steroid use on previous lives, and my advice to you is uh, to not use them. Um, not because I'm anti-anabolics; I think they're time to place uh, for those things depending on risk benefits. But for you, uh, yeah, the risks uh, far outweigh the benefits, um, as far as I can tell. And you know, hate to call you out, but that's just my take on it right now. And, and so again, just. To further this conversation for a second, you know, you think about certain sarcopenia patients, you know, the recommendation, the guidelines right now on sarcopenia do not necessarily recommend anabolics, but in some cases they may be, you know, beneficial, uh, compared to their inherent risk, uh, at certain professional sports, um, or, or other, um, high incentive where there, where there's a great incentive to actually perform a certain level. You know, Yeah. The, the benefits might out, outweigh the potential risks provided someone actually knows the risk. And I, you know, Again, having looked at your profile a little bit, I just don't think that's that's for you. And you know, you're know, you an adult, you can make your own decisions, but uh, I think that uh, I would probably think, think twice about this. And then I will also, just as an aside, probably not ask any more questions about this on the, the live, mainly uh, just because the uh, public perception of, of them is just it's not in a place where I think uh, I want to talk about them. Uh, a lot although we probably will do a podcast on this stuff in the future um just because people keep asking us but i think i'd like to concentrate all that in in one one little location (sighs) what is the most amount you should adjust your macros in terms of grams of protein carbohydrates fat how often should you change it if you are at an ideal body weight and body fat but want to gain strength yeah a lot of questions here so there's no max or minimum amount that you would adjust grams of protein, carbs, fat in an isocaloric or equal calorie situation. Um, how? And then again, if you are at the ideal body weight and body fat, I don't know that you need to, you know, adjust your macros in order to gain strength. That's probably probably not true, uh, unless your protein intake was significantly compromised. And so uh, we know that you know is anywhere between 1.4 to 1.6 grams. Uh, uh per kilo body weight of protein per day. Uh in folks who are either gaining weight or maintaining weight can can uh yield uh optimal sort of uh resistance training outcomes with respect to hypertrophy and strength. So our recommendation usually is to towards the upper end 1.6 grams per kilo uh body weight per day of protein. Um start there. If you prefer more protein than that, that's fine. Um, but that's the only thing I feel kind of strongly about with respect to actual macro recommendations uh, in an isocaloric situation. Let's see. Is it normal that mile rep movements take a long time to go up in weight? Um, I don't know. It just depends how many reps you're trying to do. I was able, you know, my experience has been I've been able to either add weight or reps each week when I when I incorporate them in my training. So that's what I would plan on doing. Doc, do you ever plan to practice medicine? Uh, probably not. Uh, um, as my only uh, occupation? No, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I think um, you know, obviously, there's a need for people in the trenches to practice medicine and take care of patients. Um, but I think that the calling, biobarbaral medicine and other and public health, uh, is probably a little bit more rewarding for me, and that's probably where I'll spend the bulk of my time. Yeah. Would you modify your training at high altitude? No, can confirm. When we went to Colorado at high altitude, I did not modify my training. Is there any evidence to suggest? So usually when questions start out there, the answer is yes, but is it strong evidence? Is it useful evidence? But all right. Is there any evidence to suggest that reducing body fat has a beneficial effect on inflammatory conditions such as eczema or rheumatoid arthritis if one were near the cutoff for waist circumference? Uh, yes. So yeah, if you're obese. Uh, and you have too much adipose tissue that's the definition of obesity then yes reducing um, body fat can improve uh, patient reported out- patient reported outcomes uh, in both of those conditions so yes to that particular question what are your top five supplements for power lifters over 40 years of age yes yeah, so these are no different than my recommended supplements for people for lifters at you know, Uh, adult lifters at any age, because being over 40 doesn't mean you're old or special population. So uh, a whey protein or other protein supplement, depending on your dietary patterns, uh, creatine monohydrate. um, I would also recommend that people take uh, beta alanine. I recommend that people maybe consider taking uh, caffeine prior to a workout. So we did, we did whey, we did, or protein, we did, uh, creatine, uh, we did beta alanine, we did caffeine. And then the only other, you know, uh, thing that, uh, you might find, uh, to be beneficial would be like, a a citrulline malate. I mean, there's a bunch of other stuff, uh, that's going to be that, that, you know, you have a slight benefit. Um, but you know, really those, those first four even would be the ones that I, I think I would recommend mostly. Yeah. If you got a puppy, which kind would you choose? Also, hi, you're awesome. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, I, yeah, I think I would get like a mini husky. Yeah, because they're cute. My dad tried to get me a this doodle. <laughs> Things like ninety pounds is a horse. It's too big. It's too big. It would absolutely wreck my apartment. So, yeah, maybe a little a little husky. let's see. I find I can hook grip way more than I can deadlift for a single. Okay. But it rips up my thumbs after a few pulls. Then I go to straps for rep work. Any issues with this? I mean, I don't know how well your grip is trained. I'd want to know what you're pulling. Have you considered using a single layer of athletic tape on your thumb? That's probably what I would start doing. So you can, again, just develop your grip because at some point you're going to need that grip strength, right? Would you recommend vitamin D supplementation if blood work shows low vitamin D? in general, that is the, uh, the treatment. Uh, so yes, but it depends on how low it is cause that, cause that helps determine the dosing and, uh, what a- agents are recommended either vitamin t- D2 or D3. And then you should probably check your vitamin D levels in six to eight weeks to make sure that you're replenishing it enough. I wouldn't recommend that people just take vitamin D what supplemental squat would you recommend for someone who struggles to go below parallel asking for myself, uh, paw squats, pin squats, something like that. Yeah. One of those two, probably. Any thoughts on the new Sony cameras or lenses? Any interest or not really into it? Well, I have two Sony cameras. i got a a6500. That's this camera. And then I've got my a7R three floating around here somewhere. Um, so the a7R four came out. And the new uh, a, what is it, 7100, 7200? 7, I don't know. Yeah, uh, and the a9 II, a9 Mark II. Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of bummed with the stuff that Sony's come out with uh, in the last year. Um, like their product, they're still, I think, leaders uh, in the mirrorless camera world. They, they've they got the best specs for sure. Uh, but I, we're all waiting for this, you know, new camera to drop that's got that does 4K 60 frames per second and 10 bit out, and you know, all this other stuff. But, the, but right now, they're they've got the best of uh, of uh, both worlds for photography and uh videography, and their autofocus is, you know, maybe the best in in, in class. So, I already got two Sony's. I don't think I'm going to upgrade until something new comes out. Yeah. Can following a vegan diet be just as good as one with lots of animal protein if calorie needs are met and protein intake is well beyond recommendation for those who strength train? Uh, yes, but I would make the caveat you don't they don't necessarily need a higher protein intake. The data shows again 1.6 grams per kilo body weight of protein per day, even in a, a vegan protein, can be you know can can yield optimal results from a, a training plan. So. Um, I think that, you know, and that's for people in a weight gain or, or maintenance state. Uh, so if you were losing weight, I'd probably jack that up a little bit, but that I'd be the same advice for, for individuals, uh, eating animal products. Yeah. Advice on choosing a medical specialty. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, obviously your rotations are going to be useful as far as like figuring out like would I want to do this day in and day out? Cause you're going to see the, you know, daily grind of a particular medical specialty. And then, um, I think that I would, uh, uh, try to do some electives in, uh, uh, one or two of the fields that, uh, that you think that you're interested in. But the first thing is you got to figure out if you want to do medicine or surgery. And then after that, the, this, this becomes a little clearer. Cause then you start figuring out like, all right, you know, What kind of surgery would I want to do? Or in medicine, do I want to treat only adults? Or do I want to treat adults and kids? You know, you're able to refine. So excited to see you deadlift 750. Me too, man. It'll be 748, but in in my heart, I'll think it's 750. I'll lie to myself. I'll believe. Hate your hat. Cubs fan sucks twice. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough, man. Jordan, there's a dude at my gym who works out at the same time and I've never said hi. And now it's been a year and it's too awkward to do now. Should I change gyms? That's weird because there was a guy earlier in this live chat who was like, there's a dude at my gym who works out at the same time as me. He looks like he lifts, but he never said hi. I want to say hi, but it would be too awkward now. Should I change gyms? I think you just got to do the the bro thing and, you know, ask him for a spot or something like that and then strike up a conversation. There you go. Just people connecting people. That's what I'm doing here. Evening, Doc. Would love your thoughts on this. Saw a training video of LeBron, Chris Paul, and Carmelo Anthony. These are all NBA players for the the unaware. I, myself, am a cultured individual. Uh, Let's see. They were all working with their trainer, and the trainer had them all doing sumo RDLs. Do sumo RDLs have a transfer to vertical? Uh, Probably minimal transfer to vertical jump test. Um, I mean, the best thing we have for the transfer to a vertical jump test would be Uh, jumping, bounding exercises, then you'd talk about, uh, you know, fairly light um, uh, half squats and quarter squats where people can actually move the weight quickly, high velocity. And but yeah, does the sumo RDL, does that recruit posterior chain muscles? Sure. It's a way to train the glutes and the hamstrings and adductors. I think it's fine. I don't know why you'd have them do sumo versus regular, but, you know, in a basketball player, I don't know that it matters either. Jordan, long time to see. Recommended program after powerlifting two, uh, you could do powerlifting three. Yeah, it's one thing to do. Uh, you could also go to like hypertrophy plan, hypertrophy two, and then jump back to powerlifting two, or uh, strength general strength and conditioning, and then pop back to powerlifting two, something like that. How good are AMRAP sets at predicting one RM? Uh, if they're more than five reps, more than if they really if they're more than three reps, probably not that great. But yeah, maybe five reps is kind of really where the trailing off tends to happen, you know, as far as like accuracy. Is there a physiologically optimal time of the day to train? Uh, so I actually kind of looked in this, into this and uh, this chronobiology or chrono training uh, and it appears no. Uh, you look at some of the studies done on this, people tend to perform best seven, to eight hours ish after waking up, but that's generally... Uh, their self-reported exercise time anyway. And untrained populations doesn't tend to be a reliable transfer there. So let's see. What lenses I using at the track the other day? This guy, 70 to 200 F2.8. This big old guy. Yep. Ugh. Hands are going numb while sleeping at night. Don't bother me much during day while training. Going to try splinting at night. Concern or not really? That eh, sounds like... uh you know, common things being common, you think about um, carpal tunnel. And so try the splints, see your doctor, um, and make sure it's evaluated. You're not missing anything. But, yeah, that would be the first thing that comes to mind, just especially if it's, if it's bilateral. So the splints can help. And if it goes away, yeah. You're thinking it's a uh, carpal tunnel, but nothing gym related that you need to worry about unless you end up having surgery on it. All right, I've been here for an hour. We've got 30 seconds left, so I'm gonna do some announcements. One, check out the vlog from yesterday. It's over on YouTube. Two, thank you guys so much for watching. Please share this with one of your friends. Doesn't follow me, you don't think follows me. Helps grow the Barbell Medicine community. You guys are great. And uh, thing three, if you haven't signed up for our newsletter, it's dropping this Friday, so sign up for that. Get your latest Barbell Medicine stuff in your inbox. See
0: you guys later. Okay, I'm back out fresh on the scene. Franchise best on the team. Blue face is bustin' not the scene. New life is something like a dream. Back out fresh on the scene. Franchise best on the team. Blue face is bustin' not the scene. New life is something like a